0: I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to have you read with me in a minute, okay? It says this. I'm going to read the first three verses, then we're going to read the next three together, okay? It says this. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Can we read this together? Verse 4. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, we want to be unified around you, Lord, around the gospel, around what you've done in our hearts and lives. Lord Jesus, we set our, our minds upon you. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word this morning. God, we thank you for the written word, because the written word leads us to Jesus, the living word. And so, Lord, is our desire to spend time with you today, together. I, I thank you, Lord, we can be different and yet unified, Lord. We can be diverse and yet there can be peace amongst us around Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just set our hearts upon you and your kingdom this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, sweet. First Samuel 28. If you got your Bibles, let's go there. Reaching the end of this narrative with regards to this character, uh, Saul, decades have gone by as we come to First Samuel 28 decades have gone by since his kingship was inaugurated. Years have passed since David struck down Goliath with a stone and a a sling and the Philistines had fled. Saul had ruled Israel for in around about 40 years here as we come to this text. And as we open this, we're gonna see that there's another enemy invasion coming against the children of Israel. This time, once again, it is their arch nemesis in the days of Saul and David, the Philistines. Um, And the Philistines are going to initiate an offensive into Israelite territory to reestablish their supremacy over the region. Now, just to remind you, because it's been a couple weeks since we've been in 1 Samuel, for 16 months, David has been hiding out amongst the Philistines. That's what this book tells us. He had been hiding from Saul, living amongst the Philistines. The Philistine king, Achish, had given the city of Ziklag. And they believed David to be one of their own. So that's a little, just a bit of background. So let's check this out. Verse one. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So from the outset here, actually, the context of this story is about to tell us, um, it's it's setting the, the groundwork for this battle in which Saul is going to die. This is the battle in which Saul and his sons are going to die. And again, David's been hiding out amongst the Philistines. He's been Pretending to be loyal to the Philistines, while in the meantime, he's been raiding southern people groups below Israel and the Philistines. And and so Achish calls David to himself as he's preparing, preparing for this offensive into Israel, and David's bluff is called. It just makes me think you know, you can only flirt with sin, you can only flirt with the enemy for so long, live in the enemy's territory before it comes back to bite you. So, so David says to him, okay, you'll be, you're going to get to see what I can do. And so Akish says to David, I like this, I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. Now in Hebrew, that means this, I'm going to make you the keeper of my head. Which, you know, just reminds me, Akish had clearly forgotten that David had cut Goliath's head off. Um, so So this is just a little bit of background for us. Now, the providential hand of God is going to keep David out of this battle, but we're not going to read this because now all of a sudden the story is going to switch and we're going to find out what's going on with Saul at the same time the scene turns from David to Saul. So verse three, now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled, and they came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. Now, just to get our bearings here, I want to chuck up a map on the screen this morning because I think it's significant to this story. Sometimes it's nice to have a bit of a geographical understanding. And so here we are. Shunem is where the Philistines have gathered. They've gathered right there. We know this, that the Philistines live down here on the coast in the south, and they've come all the way up to Shunem to battle against uh, Saul. Saul's gathered his army here at Gilboa. Of course, we know the Lake of Galilee. This is the Transjordan Valley. It's a very significant place in the world. It's like Nazareth is kind of like right up here. Uh, Gideon and the Midianites, they battled right here. You know, Gideon and the in the spring of Herod, right there. Mount Carmel, right here. Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This is a significant place. It's called the Valley of Jezreel. Nain was just right here where Jesus raised the widow's son. All in one valley. Sometimes we forget this. This is is a very significant place. In fact, this is uh, the most fought over piece of real estate in the history of the world. It's the Valley of Jezreel. Napoleon stood in that valley, and he said, if there is one valley that I could pick for any battle, this is the perfect valley. In this valley, Africa, Europe, and Asia all meet. And so many, many, many countless wars have been fought in this. It's it's had dozens, literally dozens of different nations have conquered this land. It was important for the Philistines because if they're going to assert dominance in the region, it's like the, any trade route from the, from the northeast is coming through Endor. Any trade route from the southeast is coming through Gilboa. Everything meets in this valley. So they go into the middle of the valley. So we're going to establish our authority over this region. All trade will function through us. Duty and taxes, we control it all. Everything is going to be ours. We are going to be the supreme power in this region. And so it's a very small area, but very important gateways of trade and commerce. And so the Philistines are not messing around. I want you to catch this. They gather all of their horses, their chariots, their soldiers, their army. They were the most advanced military nation in the world. We've talked about this throughout this book. So what does Saul do? He hastily gathers together his army and they come to Mount Gilboa where he's going to die. And uh, on these mountains, Jonathan's going to die. And one more detail before we we move on to this text, we're going to come back to this map in a few minutes because there's something significant I want to point out to you. One, One more detail before we move on. The author tells us this, that Saul had removed from the land all of I guess it was in a rare moment of mental and spiritual clarity, he had put out the mediums and the necromancers. These spiritual practices of mediums and necromancers, uh, consulting spirits, uh, demons calling on the, the dead, was strictly forbidden for the people of God. These were pagan practices of Canaanite people. Uh, The practices of those who had lived in the land before the children of Israel. And God had said, you are to bring judgment against these demonic practices. And so we know this, of course, Israel had failed to drive out the Canaanites. Had failed to drive out all of their worship practices. But Saul, in the midst of his reign and all the things that he had done wrong, he did this right. Got to give it to him. He had driven these spiritists out. So look at verse 5. It says this. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled greatly. So so the sight of this army seems to like just gathered against him, seems to totally paralyze King Saul with fear. He's not just simply afraid. The author tells us that his heart was trembling. He was sore afraid, like the shepherds in the field that night, the announcement of, they were sore afraid. They were so afraid it hurt. Saul was so afraid that his heart was shaking. This is total paralysis for him. He saw the Philistine forces. He looked at his own army and he said, We are toast. We're done. And so Saul did this. He went to inquire of the Lord, which is always a good thing to do, isn't it? Always a good thing in life to be inquiring of the Lord Lord, give me direction. Lord, guide me. Lord, what is your will? But it seems to me as we read this, that this was the first time in a very long time that Saul had done so. Early in his kingship, he had relied on Samuel. He'd relied on that relationship, but it had been strained for many years and now Samuel was gone. In terms of consulting the priests, well, Saul was guilty of seeing the house of Elimelech killed. Only one of his sons escaped, the Bathar. And he had for years taken refuge with the men that were hiding out with David. Abathar had with him uh, the ephod, the high priest's ephod that contained the Urim and the Thummim that the priests used to consult the Lord for his will and his direction. Saul had pushed the Lord away for years, for years. And now he's in trouble and he finally seeks the Lord. But we're going to read this, that the Lord didn't answer him. It's not an uncommon thing that happens to people. I want to point this out to you. You know, they push the Lord away for years. They ignore his word. They make no effort to seek him, no effort to build a relationship with him. And then life gets them. Life puts them in a jam. And finally, they ask the Lord for help when things don't go how they expect. And then when the Lord doesn't respond how they expect, they blame the Lord. It's the Lord's fault. You know, I've been calling on the Lord and the Lord's not answering. When they've never cultivated a relationship with him, never learned to trust his word, never learned to step out in faith by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Look, at Saul made this mistake. He waited for the day of trouble before he sought the Lord. And we should not make that same mistake. Don't wait for the day of trouble to call upon the name of the Lord. I'm not saying that he won't answer you. But I am saying if you wait, you will have less familiarity with how he speaks. You won't know his word. You'll have a harder time discerning his will. So cultivate a relationship with the Lord now, amen? Today, the scripture says, is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Never put off the Lord. In his early days, Saul blew the Lord off blatantly ignored his word, rebelliously disobeyed. And Samuel said to him, Saul, it's like witchcraft, man. Your rebellion and your disobedience is as witchcraft. Number six, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. Saul, this guy says, rebellion is as witchcraft. Saul had driven out the mediums and the necromancers, but when his rebellion against the Lord came to full fruition and the Lord didn't answer him, Saul, so desperate for God to speak, turns to witchcraft, to a medium. And to me, again, this is why he is tragic. This is why it's so sad to see his story, such a good start and such a tragic, and if only, I think this, if only Saul had turned to the Lord in repentance. You see, God, God never moves, church. He's the same. His word tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When the heavens are silent, We've all had those times. When the heavens are silent, more often than not, the issue is not with the Lord, the issue is with us. David said this to the Lord in Psalm 51, when he was pouring out his heart and his sin had come to light and he confessed it to the Lord, he said this, if I had cherished my sin in my heart, God, you would not have listened. And what that tells us is this, is that the open path towards the Lord is through the door of repentance. Saul needed to turn to the Lord in repentance. He needed to come to a realization of what was going on in his own heart and life and repent of his rebellion and disobedience. So let me ask this this morning. How about you? Has heaven been silent? Could it be that the problem is not with the Lord, but with you? Are you cherishing sin? Is there sin in your life that you love more than Jesus? Because straight up, that's idolatry, right? To put anything between you and Jesus, that's idolatry. The Lord won't compete for it, won't compete with it. But if you will turn in repentance to him, he always responds with love and grace and mercy because Jesus is eternally kind. Jesus is full of compassion. He is the fountain of mercy and grace. From him flows living water that satisfies thirst. He is living bread that satisfies the hunger of the soul. But Jesus will not have rivals, church. Rivals are idols. And so the answer is repentance. Repentance. To repent of sin and the heavens will open and the love of Jesus will overflow to you. Don't wait for the day of trouble. Cultivate it now. Now Saul had had a lifetime of ignoring the Lord. He he was unaware, couldn't recognize his own need for repentance. Everything in the guy's life is motivated by fear because the Spirit of God had left him. Remember last week? Romans chapter 8, we were at camp, we looked at Romans chapter 8. Saul didn't know in his life the reality of Romans chapter 8, that those filled with the Holy Spirit are fearless. Saul's decisions were not made from a position of Holy Spirit dependence. He made all of his decisions in response to fear. Fear was the driving factor of his life, not faith, not, not dependence, Fear had transformed him from a man that stood head and shoulders. That's how he was described when he was introduced to us. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else, and now he's been reduced to a cowering shell of of the man he once was. He's a weakling. he's He's a coward. He's unable to follow God when his own skin is on the line. And this is what happens, church, to a life that is void of repentance a life without obedience, a life without the Spirit of God. Fear is the defining factor of a people without God. That's why we can say this, show me your fears, I'll show you your idols. What are you afraid of? (laughs) The future? Church, we know the one who holds the future in his hands. Your finances, church, we know the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Your health, our Jesus is the great physician. People, Jesus said, don't fear people. Fear the one who holds the power of life and death in his hands and who can invite you into heaven or send you to hell. The persistent presence of fear is a sign that God's love is far from you. Turn with me in your Bibles. You got your Bibles? You got to go there, okay? 1 John chapter 4. Let's go there. Well, how often does that happen? I turn right to the page with nothing in there to mark it. Okay. I beat you. Sword drill. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And mark it, underline it, memorize it, bury that treasure in your heart. Bury it in your heart. Perfect love drives out all fear. Christ Jesus has justified us, who will condemn us. Jesus has sanctified us, who will separate us from his love. Jesus Christ has glorified us. We are heirs and co-heirs with him who purchased us with his blood. We love him because he first loved us. Let us turn from sin that separates us from him because he loves us. Saul had lived in fear for so long, he was so desperate to hear God speak to him that he had decided, I'll do anything just to have God speak, just to hear the voice of the Lord, just for some direction, just for some reassurance in my life. And so he decides this, I'm going to go to a medium. See how misguided he had become church? He wanted the Lord to speak, and when the Lord was silent, Saul was willing to do anything. It's very religious, actually. It's like, and I say that in the most disparaging way of religion I can possibly say. It's very religious action. Nothing good about being religious. The world knows that. We sometimes forget it. Nothing good about being religious. So the world uses statements like, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. The gospel's about relationship. The gospel is Personal. It's not about religion. It's not about religious rites and rituals. It's not about being a very spiritual person. It's about a relationship. It's about a love relationship with the one who died in your place for your sins. That's not religion. That's about finding your place in the love of God. That's about finding your place in the heart of God. That's about God hiding you in his heart and coming to understand about yourself, I have nothing. I come to this relationship totally bankrupt. I am poor in spirit, and as Jesus said, then you're blessed and heaven belongs to you. Lord, I mourn over my sin, and he says, I'll bless you with my comfort. We repent of religion and we, as followers of Jesus, we embrace relationship with the living God. Saul couldn't get there. In fact, he had no personal heartfelt hatred for sin. In fact, it's crazy. It's like the sin he condemned in others was the very sin he turned to when it came to the end of the line for him. Isn't it true? That's often what happens to us. Like the things that we condemn in others is often, most often, the very things that we're guilty of. And so we have to be careful. There, there wasn't many things Saul seemed to condemn. Like if you look at him, it's like, it's not like he made a lot of great decisions and condemned a lot of things, but he condemned seeking mediums and necromancers. But when he needed direction, what does he turn to? I love verse eight. So Saul disguised himself and he put on other garments and went, he and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Again, this is sad. Here's this guy, some of these words and descriptions are important. He's disguised himself. He sounds to me like the first Adam, you know, in the garden, hiding from the presence of the Lord covering himself by fashioning clothing from fig leaves. Saul, some translations, it doesn't say this in the ESV, they, they say this, that he took off his royal robes. It's like a tragic picture. He set aside the things that identified him as king. This is the account of this man totally unraveling spiritually. It's under the cover of night. And he goes to the the witch of Endor. Now, here's the crazy thing. Can we chuck that map back, back up? Look at where this guy has to travel from Gilboa to Endor. There's a mountain range right there. To get through that to Endor to the witch, he has to get through the Philistine army to Endor. So in disguise. Under the cover of darkness, he sounds to me like Judas sneaking off into the dark. He makes his way through the Philistine army to get to Endor. Verse 9. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Instead of repenting, confessing his need for the Lord, turning from sin, he turns to a medium. And this is not harmless. Because the Bible warns us about these kind of practices. It says specifically, have nothing to do with this kind of stuff. Why is that? Well, because it's an open door to the demonic. It's an open door for deception. But what we read in verse 10 is this, is that Saul swore to her by the Lord, Saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. To me, it's just crazy. I don't know what else to say. It's like he's swearing by the Lord while he's going to a medium. He's going off the deep end. Verse 11. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Now, you know, I I don't know. When you conduct a satanic ritual... There's not really any good choice, I think, when it's like, hey, who should I bring up for you? Oh, let's go Samuel. It's not a good choice when you're summoning the dead. There, there's, you know, this is this is wickedness. And I, w- I would say this, like, you know, when we when we look at this or even think about these sorts of things within our own culture, there are a lot of charlatans out there, I would say that for sure, right? Who manipulate people, who take advantage of them, who manipulate needy people and, and For some, I think that's what happens in such situations, but there are also real encounters. And the Bible is clear that when these things happen, what people are encountering is demonic spirits. They're encountering demons. Bible says that the dead do not speak. They don't haunt the earth. These are evil spirits. And Paul warned the Corinthian church. He said to them, don't participate in pagan worship because when you participate in pagan worship, behind all of these things are demonic spirits. Now, this, this is a unique situation in scripture. I'm going I'm to say this about it because it's like hard to understand. It's like, well, did he get a demon? Did he get Samuel? Like, what's, what's the deal? But it seems to me that when you read this, it's actually Samuel that comes forth from the dead. But this is not the norm. This is not normal. The normal encounter, the expected encounter, is not with the dead. It's with demons. This is unique. Verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Let's jump to verse 15 here. It says this. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what to do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Verse 19, Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So here's Saul, visiting this medium, she calls for Samuel and Samuel somehow, some way comes forth and Saul gets a word from the other side of the grave. But there's some things I want to point out about this that are important, that we recognize it. This is not a new word. Number one, it's not a new word. It's not new information revealed to him. Nothing new is added, no new information whatsoever. And I think it's important to recognize the characteristics of what Saul is told nothing welcoming, nothing comforting, nothing affirming, nothing encouraging. There is no comfort whatsoever in what is told him. And this is the only example that we have of this in Scripture. And so I would tell you this this is what should be expected in these situations. There's no comfort or encouragement in summoning the dead. What Saul got was a reiteration of what he was already been told. And all it did was intensify. Tomorrow, you and your sons are going to die. In other words, you're toast, man. Now, I think it's important to point this out because this, again, is our, our one and only scriptural example of these practices that are condemned by the word of God. And so, you know, for those who consult the dead and participate in these sorts of things and receive words of comfort and encouragement, I'll just tell you this, you have been deceived. You were deceived. It's deception. One of two things has happened. You have encountered a charlatan, a phony, or You have encountered a demonic spirit, and it has deceived you. It's deception. Satan, the Word of God, says he's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. Jesus said that. His desire is to kill and to steal and to destroy. He will clothe himself, Peter says, as an angel of light to deceive. And that is what anyone who consults the dead is experiencing. It is demonic, period. I remember years ago, I was like, uh, I was over at a uh, black bean coffee shop. I was sitting down just visiting with someone and there was like people behind me and they were like clearly pagan folks. They didn't know Jesus. It was a group of moms and they were like talking. And this mom is like telling this story about how her, daughter had this dream and this encounter with an angel of light. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these these poor ladies, this child's had a demonic experience. Satan has come as an angel of light. This is not good. It's deception. The tragedy is that Saul still failed to to recognize this. Uh, Saul failed to realize that forgiveness was still available. You know, I think this, it's like, There's no reason why he can't turn right here. What, I'm going to die? I'm going to die? You know what, when you find out you're going to die? The right action towards the Lord should be repentance. I'm going to die? If in that moment he had turned to the Lord in repentance, I'll tell you what, forgiveness would have flowed freely. Grace and mercy would have been poured out from the throne of God upon this man's life. What do we read? Verse 20. And Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. No no strength. Look at this guy is totally emptied of strength. There's nothing strengthening about what he has just experienced. Verse 21. No encouragement found in what he's just experienced. Verse 21. And the lord came to Saul or sorry and the woman came to Saul and when she saw that he was terrified she said to him behold your servant has obeyed you i have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me now therefore you also obey your servant let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way he refused and said i will not eat but his servants together With the woman urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had fattened a calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. This is the final meal of a condemned man. The Last Supper. The meal with a witch. This is a man who is fully turned from the Lord. It's tragic. I think about Saul, you know, it's like his introduction to us early on in this book. It, it began with him sharing a meal with the prophet Samuel. The Spirit of God coming upon him. There was a special piece of meat that Samuel had set aside for him. But his final meal, with the witch. It says here, they just arose and they went away that night. It sounds, again, so familiar to me of the story of Judas, you know. Went off into the darkness. Darkness descended on Saul. And it's so crazy because Samuel had warned him and warned him and warned him. Saul. Don't be disobedient. Don't be rebellious. Saul, rebellion is as witchcraft. And when his rebellion was fully realized, that's exactly where Saul ate his last supper, in the dwelling of a witch. Think about him. He's like desperate for a word from God. Desperate for a word of reassurance from the grave. That's why people turn to these sorts of things, right? They want reassurance. They want direction. So let me remind you of this, church, of the good news of Jesus Christ. We serve someone who has been risen from the dead. We serve a Savior who was resurrected from the dead. He was dead, but Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus is not a spirit. He rose from the dead in flesh and bone. He stood before his disciples and he said, touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. And they put their fingers in his nail-scarred hands. They put his hand in his his scarred side. They touched him and they experienced the living Jesus Christ because Jesus is alive. That's why the word of God says, why would you consult the dead when you can consult the living? Amen. Are you looking for a word from God? Well, Jesus is the word of God in the flesh. Jesus is the living word. Jesus has given us his written word to lead us to him, the living word. Are you looking for reassurance from God? Who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus promised Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He said, I I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Behold, I am with you even unto the very end of the age. Look, are you in need of his word and his presence? Let me remind you Jesus doesn't move, Jesus never changes, church. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're seeking him and you're going, why am I not hearing? Why do I, you know, why, what's in the way here? What is going on? Let me, you you know, Jesus will, let me remind you, Jesus will not allow you to cherish your sin. He won't allow you to cherish your sin and then bless you with his presence. Whatever is in the way that needs to be repented of, the Holy Spirit will convict you. And all I can say to you and remind you from the word of God is this, is that turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. He's given you his word. He's reassured you of his presence. Listen to him. You know, when Jesus came back from the dead and he met with his disciples, the very first thing he said to them was this, peace to you. Peace to you. You know, whatever happens in life, if we turn to Jesus, there's peace between us and God. Saul turned from the Lord and he found out this that the Lord was at war with him. But when we turn to Jesus Christ, we find out that the battle is over, that Jesus has borne the wrath of God and there is peace for us. And Saul, Saul was invited to eat with a medium here, a witch. You know, it's like crazy. Again, it's like, because in the scripture, eating together is such an important thing. It's an important part of relationship. And here's Saul's final meal, again, his last supper with the witch of Endor. He went out into the night, and he's going to die. What I love is this, is that Jesus also invites us to eat with him. That's why we're going to have come to the Lord's table this morning. (laughs) It's a beautiful picture for us. Jesus invites us to eat with him at the table of the Lord, and Jesus invites us to eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood. And we're promised that as we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are identified with him. Jesus was raised from the dead. He says to us, peace, peace with God, peace of God for you. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And with his death, the shed blood through which he ransomed us from our sin, the the cup represents that. The cup represents his blood. The, the, The bread represents his body. And Jesus said this, by participating with me and eating with me in this, you proclaim my death until I come again. But his word warns. His word warns this, that if you participate him without acknowledging his body and his blood, You eat and drink judgment on yourself. It's actually a serious thing to come to the table of the Lord. It it matters. Who you eat with matters. And, And so we come to the table of the Lord and we do this. As we come to the table of the Lord, we want to acknowledge the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus. He was broken for our sin. And we come to the table because we acknowledge his blood. We come to the table because... We acknowledge His body. We come to the table because we acknowledge His lordship and that there is forgiveness in Him. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. And whoever believes in Him, though he dies, yet shall he live. It's the church. The grave is silent. We don't seek direction from the dead. We serve the living God. And what's interesting to think about this is if there's anyone who must speak, then I would say it should be us, right? Go into all the world and proclaim these things. It's us who must proclaim to this world that there is peace with God, that there is the peace of God, and it happens through relationship with Jesus. And so the worship team is going to come, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I want to just pray with you. And then as you're ready and you acknowledge the body and blood of the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come to the table, receive these things. We're going to eat with Jesus. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing this morning. And so, Lord, let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you, God. Uh, this is an amazing, crazy story in the Word of God. It serves as an incredible warning to us. Lord, we search our hearts in this moment right now. Got to pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction of sin in our lives. Lord, if there are things that are undealt with between us and you, Lord Jesus, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, I thank you that you won't allow us to cherish sin in our hearts and have your presence. And so, Lord, teach us to hate our sins. Teach us, Lord, to turn from our sin. Teach us, Lord, remind us over and over again that when we sin and come before you and ask for your forgiveness, you are faithful and just and will purify us from all sin and forgive us of our unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, this morning, we thank you that there's no fear in your love, that perfect love drives out fear. And so, Lord, we look to you this morning We confess our need of you, Jesus. We ask you to forgive us of our sin. Wash us in your blood, Lord. We pray, God, that the posture of our eating, of our fellowship, of our life would be with you, Lord. So thank you, God, that you invite us to the table this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.